Amen. As you continue to stand in honor to the man of God that's coming to the pulpit, he is not a stranger to Bethlehem Church. He is a, uh, one of our favorite preachers, has preached all of the conferences, the major conferences of our organization. He's recognized as a tremendous preacher. And I want to personally thank him. He's got a fantastic church in Wilson, North Carolina. I want to thank him for taking time away from his family and his church to be here and minister to us. And we honor this great man of God. And we're so thankful to have he and his, his uh, youngest daughter, or his middle daughter, I guess, Olivia. So glad that she's here. Let's make the Garnets welcome to Bethlehem Church this morning. Come on, can we give that hand clap to the Lord this morning? God's worthy of every praise we can give Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated for a moment. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning with all of you wonderful, wonderful people of God. There is, there is no greater place to be than in God's house. There's a lot of places we all could be, but there is no greater place to be than in God's house this morning. I give honor to your pastor and his wife, Brother and Sister Voskis, and their family. And uh, we appreciate them and love them dearly. Give honor today to your bishop, Bishop Wilson and Sister Wilson. We love and appreciate them so much as well. You are so blessed. blessed. I, I'm reminded of the few years that I got to pastor. I think it was around two and a half years I got to pastor uh, with Bishop, my grandfather, Bishop Evans there, the church. Uh, I was only pastoring just a few short months, uh, four or five months, and the first lady, my grandmother, Sister Evans, passed away. Then if just a little over three years later, my grandfather passed away. He was bishop. He was 90, 92 when he passed, but just his presence. Now, I know I'm supposed to preach today, and, and Brother Voss has told me and this morning, he said, well, you got full liberty. So I, I may be here for more than just to preach for just a few minutes. But he, um, just his presence there, just, just walking in the building, made the difference in all the world. So church family today, you are so blessed. You are so blessed this morning. So I give honor to them today. The ministry teams of this church, I appreciate you. If you are a first-time guest this morning, please do yourself and your family a favor and come back next Sunday when Brother Voskis will be preaching. All right? Don't, do not judge this church by what is about to happen in here today. All right? Praise the Lord. Come back again. I uh, give honor to my family, my wife, Sister Garnett, and our children. Uh, we're blessed to have three biological. Olivia's my youngest biological child. She's 16 and married. She's not looking. And so, so we, I'm thankful that she's with us today. Not really, but anyhow. And then we've adopted three children that range from ages 8, 6, and 1-year-old. So we just, like David Hammond would have said... David Hammond said he had two litters. 
He had two letters. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. So, praise God. I'm thankful for my family. Sister Garnett wanted to be here, but due to uh, some things that come up, she wasn't able to uh, be with us this week. But we're thankful to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn your attention this morning into the Word of the Lord. And we'll be turning to 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and we'll begin reading at verse number 9. 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and verse number 9. Scripture reads, So Hannah rose up after that they had eaten in Shiloh, and after that they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. There shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass that as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought, she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. I want to minister for a few minutes this, this morning on this subject. The altar. The altar. Let's pray together. Father, I love you, and I thank you, Lord, today for your goodness and mercy. I pray, Jesus, Lord, and I feel your anointing in this place already. God, I know, Lord, you're about to pour out something upon, Lord, this congregation. Lord, men and women in this place today, I ask you, Jesus, right now, God, that you would touch. God, that you would move. Lord, that your presence, God, would speak upon this congregation. Lord, that you would operate, Lord, in this house today. We'll give you praise and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hannah was a lady that was barren. She desired to give birth. She desired to bear children. But for reasons, God in his word says that the Lord shut up the wound of Hannah. Every day, each and every day, it brought more sorrow and more sorrow to her life. She was desperate that that reproach would be taken from her. She thought thoughts of how special it would be to give birth to children, how she could, in her way, take care of her children. She could rear them up and enjoy the things that others were enjoying by the laughter and the smiles and the progress of the children that she would rear up in her home. Yet every year, God constantly did not allow that womb to open. It was closed. 
The Bible tells us that over a pro process of time and ever how many years it was, that Hannah was a lady that had great sorrow. Sorrow that unless you've been there, it's hard for you to comprehend. Sorrows, unless you've experienced them, it's very hard for maybe for you to relate. But she was at a place in her life where she had great, great sorrow, the Bible says. You could say she had a broken heart, a heart that was broken, a heart that was full of emotional pain or suffering, one that felt lost or one that felt unloved. She walked through the community suffering from a broken heart. She only desired just to take part in giving birth as all of her friends that she hung with were doing. She, she desired. She was suffering from something that tormented her mind, and tormented her spirit. She was in great, great sorrow, dealing with depression. Until one day she made her way to the temple. It was there at the temple she found her place in an altar. And she began to pour out what was bringing her sorrow. And she began to petition God and say, God, all I desire is for you to bless me with a man-child. God, if you'll bless me with a man-child, I'll in return give him back to you. Lord, I, all I desire is that this reproach be taken from me. I, I desire to, to let, let go of this deep oppression and depression and, and sorrow of spirit. And I, I, if, if you'll give me new life, Lord, I, I'll surrender it over to you. That, that's all I desire, God, is, is, to, is for you to bless me with a man-child and and, and there, while she's praying, while she's talking to the Lord, Eli, the priest, begins to notice the grief that she bears. He sees her mouth moving, but he doesn't hear any prayer because she's holding it within. She's talking to God. Her mouth is barely moving, but she's telling all that she can tell God. She comes to God broken and, and, and undone and, and brokenhearted, and she's just speaking. And the prophet begins to look and notice that maybe, maybe this woman, maybe this woman is drunk. Maybe this woman has drunken too much. Would have been a whole lot better if Eli maybe would have just taken a moment and found the mind of God. Could have been helpful if Eli would have just took a few more seconds and understood that the altar was a place for everybody. The altar was for a place where people could bring their sacrifices, but it was also for the brokenhearted that needed some direction from God. And maybe Eli could have just stood back for just a moment and said, you know what, we'll give her a little bit more time and just see what she's really got to say. But no, Eli marked her, the Bible says, and said she must be, she must be drunk. She must be drunk. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning there are people in this church today that have walked in here with a broken heart. Just because of a facade and because they're dressed appropriately and they seemingly have it all together and they rode to church in a fine automobile and they got a great paying job and their loan is kept pretty and nice and neat year-round does not mean they are not dealing with something in their spirit and they need a place of refuge. place of refuge is not so much the sanctuary, but the place of refuge is called the altar. 
It's a place where you can pull up and dine at the master's table. It's a place where all heartbreak can be lost for a period of time. It's a place where drunkenness of spirit and oppression of the body and anxiety that breaks your body down. It's a place where you can bring it and just lay it on the altar and say, God, nobody else in here has to know what I'm going through and nobody else in here has to hear me shout out the pain that I'm dealing with. But Lord, you know what I'm dealing with and Lord, you know what I'm facing. And Lord, you know the hell that I'm walking through and Lord, you know the torment of my mind and God, you know the strength that I need in you and Lord... No one is ever exempt from the altar. The altar should never be a place where you're uncomfortable to approach. The altar should never turn into something that's unfamiliar to you, father, or your family, mom and dad. The altar should be a place that you leave at every service. The altar should be a place whether you spend a half an hour or one minute. It should be a place that you approach. The altar is not just for those that are broken hearted. The altar is not just for those that are broken down. But the altar is for the pastor and the bishop and the preachers and the preacher's wives and the Sunday school teachers and the ushers and the groundskeepers and everybody else that's in this building. The altar is not a place just for that sinner that's seasonally trying to find their way, but the altar is for the church of the living God. And what we need more in 2021 is an altar in our life. It's an altar in our spirit. I refuse to be broke down by the mental state of church. I refuse to be broke down by the mental capacity of some that attend. When I approach the altar, it doesn't always mean I failed. I've approached the altar before when I have failed. But there's many other times I have approached the altar. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you're falling back into sin. It doesn't mean you're good for nothing. It doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It doesn't mean that you've said things that you shouldn't have said. There's just many times you just want to get up around the altar. You feel a lot better when you you get up around the altar. Things seem to start working out a little bit better when you get up around the altar. Your marriage seems to stick a little bit better when you get it up around the altar. Your kids act a little bit better if you just get them up around the altar. Forget about what somebody says. Forget about what somebody's trying to judge and get up around the altar and say, God, I gotta have a touch from you. Holy Ghost revival begins around an altar. Healings take place around the altar. Marriages are put back together around the altar. Deliverance happens around the altar. It's all about the altar. It's all about the altar. I shared this earlier this morning. I'm in a great church. God's glorious church is a great church. I pastor a wonderful church. Our church from sometimes, sometimes the church back home struggles. Most generally the reason they're struggling is because I'm struggling. And so I made up my mind a few months ago, I'm going to the altar. I'm not leaving a church service without going to the altar. I don't care what people think. I don't care if folks walk out that door because they need to go find lunch. I'm going to the altar before I leave this building. I'm not leaving this building until I at least take a few moments and tell God I love you. 
And I thank you, Lord, that I can open up my mouth, lift my hands, and praise you today. Man, I feel him in this place this morning. One writer said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Bring that fire on down to the altar and set the altar on fire that somebody else might receive what they need from God. You're never, you're never too manly to visit the altar. Visiting the altar for a man doesn't mean that you're, that you're not strong. Matter of fact, if you're a man and you don't visit the altar, what that shows others is that you're weak. Come on, mama, don't quit coming to the altar. Don't quit bringing them children and laying them on the altar. If you can lay them on the altar when they're babies, and then when they get older, they may leave God's house, keep on bringing them and laying them on the altar. Because there's coming a day that they're going to walk back through the doors of this church all because of a mama said, I don't care what night it is. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what I'm walking through. I'm bringing my son. I'm bringing my daughters. And I'm laying them down here on the altar. The altar. The altar. And so I shared it with it this morning uh, just briefly. But we just, the last few months had a sister that walked into our, our sanctuary. Due to COVID and different things, we had to move our sanctuary to our outreach center. And um, we should have done it years ago. And I, you know, I just, I'm just, I'm just flesh and bone like you are. And I enjoyed packing, packing them in and packing them in. But what COVID did for the Pentecostal Lighthouse is it moved us to where we should have been a few years ago. It put us out in more room. And so we're in a lot larger area and folks really enjoy it. And we've even grown in the last few months. And I guess a few, few months ago, a lady walked in and said to my left, we have five sections now in our outreach center. And she said to the far left section. And while the sermon was going forth, you know, preaching to uh, folks like us that's got it all together. You know, we, we, we don't have much problems, I don't guess. And we got it pretty much going on. And we know just how to raise our hands and just how to, and just, and, and when to come to the altar. We know when to come. It's, we believe in doing things decently and in order. So we, we know when to come. But this lady knew nothing about our Pentecostal lingo. She didn't know that the man was afforded 45 minutes to preach that morning and then everybody that wanted could come to the altar. So she kind of took our church on a little uh, memory lane, how it used to take place. Folks would approach the altar when they felt like approaching the altar. So I, I heard a scream way out to the left over here. And, and being a pastor, you have to learn. If you've never preached or never pastored or been a bishop, you got to learn that every scream, you can't just lose it. You can't run out the side door when somebody gets a scream in her. Folks passing out and, and folks take it, checking their pulse. You have, to, you have to keep a little order. And so I, I heard a scream over here, and it was unlike a scream I'd ever heard. I knew it, was, it wasn't anybody I knew. And so I just kept focused, and I focused on the center section now. I thought, well, let the greeters and the ushers take care of whatever's going on over here. And I focused on the center, and it got louder, and it got closer. And it came with a jingle and a dance. And here she come, buddy. She come from that far left side screaming and hollering. And she danced all across the front of the sanctuary and spin and twisted and turned and 
fell all out on the altar and cried and got up and screamed some more. She kept looking at me, and I looked at her, and she grabbed me by the hand. She said, let's pray. And so I started praying. Me and her having church, the other few hundred people just sitting there kind of looking at us, and we just having a good time. And I got down in the altar with her, and I walked around with her, and I noticed that some of the folks in the local assembly, they were trying to figure out what was going on. They were so suspicious of this lady. Where Really, is she in order, or is she out of order? And really, should she be doing this, or should she not? When really, God was saying, what you should have done is got up here with her. You may not scream like she does and you may not shout like she does, but you could have just stood up there with her. You could have let her know when you approach the altar, you're not going by yourself. There's somebody there in your corner. There's somebody going to pray with you. There's somebody going to be with you. There's somebody going to love you. Somebody going to love you. I came out of a tractor supply buying some dog food. For a pack of hunting beagles my son and I have. Oh, yes. I put on muck boots and briar britches. And most Saturday mornings, me and Luke are out in the field somewhere in Aunt Olivia. We turn out a pack of dogs and they and run rabbits. And and they run rabbits. And we have a good time. I know what it is. To do, to do all that kind of, all that kind of business, I, I understand as, as a man how to, that, that you need to be a man, you know, you'd be a man, you know. Putting on them Sitka waders and wading out in waters at 4 a.m., throwing out decoys and fighting off beavers and anything else and letting the water get down over the top of your waders. A short guy like me stays wet more than he stays dry. I know what it is to sit out there in the swamps when your hands are about to fall off and freeze and so it feels like frostbite and shoot ducks and they hit the water and your lab goes and gets some brings them back. Man, it's called a good time. I know all about the ins and outs and the manly things, but when we become so manly that we can't walk to an altar. When we become suspicious as some become of men or women when they come to an altar. Suspicious of wonder where they've been or what they've done. Suspicious of, I wonder if I need to pray with them or I don't need to pray for them. Always we need to pray with them. Suspicious of, I wonder if they failed God or or not. What does it matter? I want to say today, and I'm really too comfortable here right now, but really what does it matter what they've done and where they've been? What should matter is, thank God they walked back to an altar. Walked back to an altar. There is no life like living for God. There is no feeling like feeling the power of God. There is no gift like the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. I don't care where you're at, sir. You need an altar. I don't care where you're at, ma'am. You need an altar. The altar is a place where it's set on fire. The altar is a place where it set your soul on fire. the altar. Heartbreak is usually associated with losing a family member or a spouse. Or losing a parent. Losing a child. This church has experienced all of the above. Losing a pet or a close friend. Something by the altar. Times like that. First place I wanted to go to 
through the losses in my life, and I've had a few, not as many as some, but I've had a few in my life. But I believe the first place I'd want to go as I become older was a place of prayer. I didn't have many words. I didn't have adequate speech. But if I could just go to a place and fall on my face before God, it seemed like God began to move in my life again. I didn't have the adequate words. And if somebody would have heard my prayer at 47 years old when we lost our mother, they'd have said, man, how long has that guy been pastoring? Oh, over 20 years. There's no way. He don't even know how to pray. I didn't have the right words. I didn't know what to say. But just being at the altar made all the world of a difference. Listen, today, can I get real with you? Quit putting on. Quit putting on. Sitting back and watching folks while they come. Quit putting on and saying, oh, they need it. Oh, oh, they need it. Oh, oh, Bishop and Sister Wilson, they need to be in the altar. They're the bishop. Oh, Brother and Sister Boscus, they need to be in the altar. They need strength. I'm going to tell you who needs to be in the altar. Everybody sitting in this building today needs to be up around the altar. If you've been here 40 years or you've been here 40 minutes, the altar's for you. I said if you've been, if you spoke in tongues 50 years ago, the altar's still for you. If you've talked in tongues in the last few days, the altar's still waiting on you. If you're a sinner and you want to be saved by the mercy and grace of God, the altar is here for you. You don't have to walk out in despair. You don't have to walk out troubled. You don't have to walk out with a broken heart. Somebody give God some praise this morning. Come on, give him some praise this morning. An altar is a place where the divine and human worlds interact. Altars were places of exchange, communication, and an influence. It's a place where we communicate with God. We tell the Lord all about it. If you can tell your friend all about it, try telling the Lord all about it. Because he's the dearest friend that we've ever had. First thing built after the exile was the altar. Then the temple was reconstructed. The temple was ultimately secondary to the altar. Because they understood that the, the altar was so important. Prayers were answered at that altar. Jesus underlined the sacredness of the altar, making clear his understanding that the altar makes the gift sacred. He understood that going to the temple was great, but there was something inside that the temple housed. It was the altar that you could go and take the problems, concerns that you had, and God would help you. Peter and John's on their way to the temple. The Bible says they're on their way to the temple being the for the hour of prayer, which be in the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried with him to the gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that enter into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked alms. Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed of them expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But you look at somebody and say, I don't have much silver and gold. It'd be good to have it right now, wouldn't it? Silver and gold have I none. They had none. But Peter said, such as I have, I give thee. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You know where Peter and John were headed? They were headed to the altar for a time of prayer. But they come in contact with a man that couldn't make it to the altar. And they understood the altar was so important that this man needed to get up and get there. That they looked at him and said, I don't have silver and I don't have gold. But such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says not six months later, not six days later, not six hours later, not six minutes later, but immediately his strength came to his ankle bones. Woo, hallelujah to God. What would happen this morning if you looked at somebody and said, take me by the hand. Let's get up going on up to the altar. Come on, go with me to the altar. What would happen if you took that friend by the hand that's dealing with that oppression and said, let's get on up around the altar. I'm going to tell you what would happen. What you had, you could introduce to them and they can leave here victorious in Jesus Christ. They can leave here healed of whatever manner of sickness. Come on, somebody praise him in this house. Thank him. You got an altar you can visit. Thank you for the church that you can attend. Thank you for the bishop and the man of God, your pastor, that constantly keeps a fire burning on the altar. This is not a fire that's gone out. You can walk up here right now and God can deliver you. You can walk up here right now and God can set you free. You can walk up here right now and God can heal your body. You can walk up here right now and God can fill you. The altar is so important. The, the altar is so important. When you don't know what to do, go to the altar. That's right. When you don't know what to do, go to the altar. When you feel like you have no place to turn, I got an alternative motive for you where you can go instead of losing your mind and doing things you wish you wouldn't have done. When you don't feel like you have anywhere to go, you do. You have an altar. <laughs> when you feel like you're about to lose your mind, you have an altar you can run to. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of comfort. I, I know we're not shouting and running the aisles this morning, but, but sometimes we need the victory before we go to running. We need to come to the altar and get the victory. I, I realize this morning that the altar is, is really, it's got a stigma upon it in many churches today. It's just a place where the sinner comes, you know. We, we give an altar call and the sinner comes and, and, and three quarters of the congregation may watch and see what that sinner's going to do. Well, I wonder what they're going to do. Well, they're probably going to do what they think they need to do and that's first repent. But, but the altar's not just for that sinner. You know, God can forgive that sinner and heal that lady over here at the same time. And God can forgive that sinner and can touch this man of oppression over here at the same time. And God can heal, forgive that sinner and put this marriage back together right here at the same time. And God, 
God can take that broken heart and mend it and forgive that sinner and God can fill that man or woman with the Holy Ghost and God can deliver this man standing right here. He's not limited to touching somebody. He's not limited to an altar call for different specific needs. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give thee rest. He said, just bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to an altar where God is going to meet you there. Bring it to a place where you can communicate with the one that has the answer. Many you communicate with may not have the answer. But God has the answer. My two youngest sons today, Davin, who is six years old, Mark, who is a year old, they are both biological brothers. They were adopted into our family. Mark adopted Second week of December 2020, just a few months ago. We had them both since birth. They have both been both diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. It's when the biological mother chose to drink, continue on the pleasures and the addictions of the life, knowing there was a child within her womb. To make it a long story short today, and I'm speaking concerning my family, these two boys have brain damage. Brain damage that they say is irreparable brain damage that they won't be able to function in a normal routine life. Yes, they have problems, and yes, we have challenges, but we also have an altar. <laughs> I, hope somebody, I hope somebody gets what I'm trying to relate today. So when I leave early on a Sunday morning to go to church as well as early on a Sunday night and early on a Wednesday afternoon, I leave back Sister Garnett with Delilah, who's so precious, and, and Olivia, 16-year-old that's with me that this weekend. And I leave behind her there, Olivia and Delilah, trying to help mom with Davin and Mark. And, and, and there's a struggle sometimes. And I see her walk in church from time to time. She's about five, ten minutes late most of the time. And she's got one baby on one hip. She's got another baby holding a hand. She's got diaper bags and she's walking in and some people say that was her choice. You better believe it was. That's her ministry. God called her to it. So that's her ministry. And she walks in and she sits down and I know she's exhausted and I know she feels like just during the preaching, taking them kids and wrapping them back up and going back home. She's exhausted. The kids are tired. She's been through a hard day. She's done more by eight or nine o'clock than most people do in a day's time. And she's sitting there service after service. And I've watched her as she brings in babies and her family to the altar. She gets up around the altar and tears flow down her face. And many times the tears are tears of exhaustion. And what am I going to do, God? And, and what, what, what's, what's the outcome in the future, Lord? But we've made a pact with one another. The best thing we can do is not worry about the future just worry about getting to the altar because I know who holds the future in his hands if I just get him up around the altar now I, I know when some said I know when some said he wouldn't function that he's already functioned. I know when some said he wouldn't be able to talk, he's talking better than most six years old. I know when some said he wouldn't learn in school, he knows most everything that everybody else knows in the first grade. I know when some said give up on him, he's doing better than most that have a diagnosis that he's got. I know when some said that Mark's not going to talk, he ain't said one word, he's almost two years old, but last week he walked up to me and he handed me my hat, Brother Wilson, and when he handed me my hat, I said, thank you. And do you know what the boy stood back and said? He said, thank you. 
The more times you visit the altar, the more times you'll become thankful. The more times you visit the altar, the more times the pastor won't have to say, does anybody have a praise in this building? But you'll know automatically, I don't have to have a pastor telling me to praise God. I know I visited that altar, and I know Monday was better because I visited the altar on Sunday. The altar makes Monday better. The altar makes Tuesday better. The altar makes Wednesday better. The altar makes Thursday better. The altar makes Friday better. The altar makes Saturday better. I don't care where you're at or where you're doing. You can always find time for an altar. Look at your neighbor and say, are you about ready to go to the altar? We're going to break the back. That stigmatism that if you walk up here, you're, you're doing terrible sins. We're going to break the back. That doesn't mean the altar is not for the sinner. Thank God it's for the sinner because I sure need it. I'm going to quit sitting back and leaning on my post and trying to mark the mouths of people when they come up around the altar, trying to see what they've done and where they've been. And when I saw their car down at so-and-so, and I, I think they were down at the honky-tonk a few weeks ago, and now they're back in church. They're in today, and they're out tomorrow. They're in today, and they're out tomorrow. Be thankful they're in today. Just, just. They're here three months and gone six months. They're back six months and gone one month. Be thankful they're back. Be thankful they're walking back to the altar. It takes a lot for a sinner to leave their pew and walk to an altar. They got to walk about 40 or 50 feet past saints of God that's checking them out. Be thankful if a sinner walks up here, get around them and say, thank God they're back. Thank God they're here. Thank God they made their way home. Thank God for it. Come on, man. Come on, lady. I don't care where you be in the altars for you. Come on, sinner friend. You say, oh, I'm, I'm all messed up. I, I just messed up. I don't, think if, I don't think nobody can fix me. Jesus can raise you up. Jesus can set you free. I just don't think nobody's got time for me. This church has got time for you, and Jesus has time for you. I don't think nobody wants me. Bethlehem Church wants you, and Jesus is waiting with open arms saying, come on, come on. Come on. The devil says stay back. But Jesus says come on. The devil says give up. But Jesus says come on. Come on. Come on. Come on to the altar. Why don't we all just gather in the altar? If you're a first time guest, just everybody gather in the altar. If you step out of your pew and, mar- and, and, and walk five feet, that's close as you can get, just, just get in the altar. Maybe take the hand of somebody you're comfortable taking the hand of. Silver and gold, have I none? We're going to the altar together. God's going to pour out something at that place called the altar that's going to change my thinking. It's going to change my way of life. It's going to change the man or a woman that I am. It's at the altar. Hallelujah to God. It's at the altar. God turns things around. It's at the altar. God sets people free. It's at the altar. God hears our plead. It's at the altar. God delivers us. Come on. You're here now. Pour it out to God. You're here now. 
If you're not walking through something, put a praise on God at the altar. But if you're facing something, lift up your hands and let God bring you through it. That's it. That's it, brothers. You're in the altar. Things happen in the altar. Jesus operates, pours out. Hallelujah. 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 That's in the name of Jesus. Touch us today. In the name of Jesus, God, deliver today. In the name of Jesus, God, mend the brokenhearted today. In the name of Jesus, open up spiritual blinded eyes today. In the name of Jesus, let revelation come today. In the name of Jesus, we push back God. We push back the oppression. Lord, we make our way to the altar. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
singing this song, why don't you reach over and pray with somebody close to you. Amen, why don't you pray for them. Amen, we need each other at the altar. For those that need healing, heal. For those that need deliverance, deliver. God, for those that need strength, strengthen. Oh, that's right, come on, let's take some time and pray one for another. Bible says when we pray one for another, we fulfill the law of Christ. You can't fulfill the law of Christ without praying one for another.
lift our hands and thank the Lord for his presence and his word today. For the great things that God is doing in this house today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Tonight's going to be a great night. Man, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be powerful. Be free, our drug and alcohol addiction program at 5 o'clock. If you are a guest, a new member, I want to invite you to come to First Steps. That's uh, starting in just a few moments in the dining room of the school building. Uh, we have folks that will help you get there. We want you to come join us. We'll have a good time together. Remember, prayer at 6, church at 6.30. Hey, b- before, before I lose your attention, I need you to help me pray for the Travis Spears sister. Uh, sister Jean is going to have surgery on her lung uh, tomorrow, and she's asked us to pray. So why don't we pray for Jean? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray you touch Jean. I pray for healing virtue. I pray you guide her doctors and nurses with wisdom and direction. Lord, I pray healing virtue over her body by the authority of your word, by the power of your name. Lord, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bring your tithe. You can be dismissed in the presence of the Lord.